He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. Hi, this is Dick Morris. Hello, Dick Morris. I've been fired as Trump's chief advisor. My place has been retaken. By my sidekick, the maestro and the Renaissance man, Doug DePiro. Um, he's at Mar-a-Lago these days, almost full time, restoring all of the artwork in the place. I love it. Uh, murals, it statues, steps, uh, floors, uh, doing incredible stuff. And Trump recently got together with us, saw us, and said, pointed to me and said, he's my pundit, and then pointed to Doug and said, he's my. Um, artist. And uh, then he added, I thought gratuitously and ungratefully, <laughs> he said, uh, I like him more than I like he you. He does, nan, nan. And I said, nan, 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 nan. And he looked at me. Which I thought was a really mature response. It was. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was important. But um, unfortunately, I'm, I've been replaced. But No, never. Right. Never yeah. will you ever be replaced. Yeah. He told me that. Right. Behind your back, he said, I really like Dick better than you. But I just, yeah. I tell him in front of you. Yeah, right. Well, the world likes Trump pretty He's a, a great lot. guy. He's a nice uh, guy. He has uh, really, uh, it, it, it's not in the media yet. It will be in the conventional wisdom in a few, in a week or two. But on Friday, two polls came out that were absolutely earth-shaking. Uh, if you're in my kind of world where things that most people don't know to shake my earth. But... <laughs> They found a huge increase in Trump's favorability, job approval, and standing vis-a-vis DeSantis. A huge increase. One was the Economist YouGov poll. Both of these polling firms are Democratic firms. Economist YouGov, and the other is Harvard Harris. Economist YouGov showed Trump's positives going from 38 to 43, which is very good. And his unfavorables dropping from 56 to 45. That is huge. An 11-point decrease in his unfavorability. And that is a poll of all adults, not of voters, not of Republicans, not of Republican primary voters, but of all adults in the United States. Uh, Now, if there was ever a sample that's ginned to be against Trump, it's that because it includes a lot of non-voters, a lot of Democrats, a lot of independents. And for him to have 43% favorability among those people and only 45% unfavorability after being basically underwater uh, during almost his entire presidency. Oh, my God. That is absolutely an incredible finding. And then at the same time, another poll came out, Harvard-Harris, that's run by my old frenemy, Mark Penn, who I hired to work for for Clinton, and then uh, when I had to resign, he replaced me, and uh, we haven't been exactly friends ever since. And uh, his poll shows that in a Trump-DeSantis two-way race, Trump is now 10 points ahead, 55 to 45. And last month, he was three points ahead. In all the polling that's been going on, there's a pattern that emerges, which is when Trump runs against a large field of Republicans, 
including Mike Pence, uh, Pompeo, Haley, uh, Ted Cruz, um, and DeSantis. Uh, against a large field, he beats them all, and he beats them all handily, uh, 47, 48% for him, and, uh, and nobody else except DeSantis above single digits. It actually was Trump 47, DeSantis 27, and everybody else in single digits. Wow, that's great. But then when you collapsed the field to simply Trump against DeSantis and got all the also-rans out of the equation, all of their votes go to DeSantis. None went to Trump, which was a very troubling thing. It meant that the, the, uh, the membrane between being anti-Trump and being pro-DeSantis was very easily penetrated and uh, that those votes could end up with DeSantis. So it was with a vast sigh of relief that I saw the data that said that in a head-to-head matchup, Trump is not two or three ahead, he's ten ahead of DeSantis. Mm. And that's huge. That's enormous. So the question, and then McLaughlin has his own poll coming out for Trump on uh, Monday night, and it'll Newsmax will post the results. So follow Newsmax to see it. It's, I'm holding my breath for that. But the point is, there's been a revolution in Donald Trump's image uh, when between early December and late mid January. Why? Well, first of all, it's because they still love. Him. Glad you cut it off before you get to the part about you're still the one who scratched my itch. <laughs> is that a part of is that yeah, part of the that, song? That's one of I don't lyrics. even know that. Yeah. Uh, all right. But, Thank you. <laughs> oh my God! You have to bring it up. Yep. Uh-huh. But um, uh-huh. the the polling here the the poll results are fantastic, and the question is why. Well, one cynical explanation is he wasn't talked much. Uh, Trump has been out of the limelight, really. Um, he, his last, uh, gaffe was the Condi West stuff. Wasn't even his. Yeah, it wasn't even his fault. Well, none of them are his fault. They just right. get played against right. him. Mm-hmm. And the other was the misinterpretation of his line that we have to, um, yeah. transcend the limits of the First Amendment How to uh, stop censorship. He didn't say that. He didn't that. say that. Not and it's at misinterpreted all. and all of that and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But the media played that he had it, that he yeah. said it, and it, uh, and, and it a, hurt him. And the useful idiots go with it. And it hurt him. And uh, But he has not done any of those, none of it in December and none of it in January. I just spoke to Rudy in the hallway as he was coming away from doing his show, and I mentioned that to him, and he said, why? And I said, well, he hasn't said anything stupid in two months. And Rudy stopped and thought about it and said, yeah, that's true. Do you think he's reformed? And I said, Maybe. The dynamics of Trump's psyche are interesting in this. When he thinks he's ahead, when he thinks he's winning, he sort of has a a propensity to dance on the graves of everybody else. And he he gets a little reckless with what he's saying. And uh and it's and it sometimes is dangerous. When I say reckless, I mean truthful. Right. <laughs> I mean he his whole thing is disregard the boundaries people place on you and say what you really think and let it hang out. There. You know, he's just a tough, 
boss is what and, he is. And sometimes he, he lets it hang out there too much. Right. But I prefer the other explanation for why Trump is gaining. Well, there's three. The, the second one is that he has articulated a variety of really good positive statements in the last two months that have been wonderful. One was his announcement statement in November, on November 15th. We outlined a very extensive, proactive, positive agenda. Uh, much of it was picking up where he left off on illegal immigrants and on tax cuts and on being tough in foreign policy. I know a guy involved with that. But some of it was new ground. Some of that was really interesting stuff and uh, very important. And then he followed that up on uh, in early January with a statement about free speech. And he made the point that his that the election of 2020 was rigged and fixed, as he said, but not by some guy in Maricopa County or Fulton County counting votes or jimming the voting machines, but by the federal government led by the FBI and the Department of Injustice suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop. So none of us knew that the president was on the payroll of the Chinese Communist Party. Right. And now that's coming out. And that information was repressed. If they, we had known that on election day, there was no way in hell that Joe Biden would have been elected president. And as Trump has sharpened his critique of the free speech issue and has made that his own and has made clear that he's the, the, the first victim of what could be a national trend, which is to suppress negative information in the names of political correctness. He's really picking up a following. And then yesterday, the day before, you probably didn't see it because the mainstream media doesn't cover it, but go to Trump Social and you'll see it all. He gave a great speech on China, saying that China is trying to buy the United States and trying to buy our companies, our resources, and bankrupt us and take us over. And it was a strong, strong statement, particularly in light of the data about Biden being compromised by his relationship with China. So... So we really have some very positive statements that I think have really affected his image. And the third thing, of course, is Joe Biden is so obviously screwing up. Um, this document scandal, the archive scandal, doesn't mean a damn thing. I don't care what archive somebody has. Like I said, when they accuse Trump of it, it's like an overdue library book. But what I do care about is the information that's coming out about the Penn-Biden Center. He's fallen, Biden, isn't he? Yes, and I, I spoke at length about the Penn-Biden Center in my book, The Return. And, uh, yeah, right. I didn't have a musical accompaniment in the book, but that's about right. And um, the point in my book I made was that Biden set up this operation at the University of Pennsylvania called the Penn-Biden Center for Global Engagement and Peace. And then the Chinese immediately sent anonymous contributions from individuals, three people in China, just spontaneously sent checks for $22 million to the center. And <laughs> since then, they've contributed $50 million to the center. Wow. And the center paid Joe Biden $1 million a year to be a no-show professor at the University of Pennsylvania, never taught a course. And Hunter Biden starts paying Joe $50,000 a month, allegedly in rent for a house. I mean, that's got to be 
the greatest mansion in America to pay 50000 a month rent. <laughs> and even if you're trashing the joint, what Hunter Biden would do. Yeah, with but, crayons on the wall and... No, with crack. Yeah, yeah right. But, uh, <laughs> and not cracks on the wall. But that's $1.6 million a year yeah. for four years Imagine. as a bribe. Imagine. And then to make sure it's stuck, Blinken, the Secretary of State, was the executive director of this Penn-Biden Center. Are paid six figures a year, again, by the Chinese government. So as this information has come out, I think Biden's ratings have dropped. At the moment, they're just down three points from 43 to 40. But I expect them to go into the high 30s and then the mid and low 30s. I think that the he can't stand the scrutiny of his relationship with China. And this archive scandal with with the Penn Biden Center is having that effect. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. Every time you turn on the TV or pick up a newspaper these days, you see another cache of Biden documents, of classified documents that Biden is hiding and isn't letting people see. I like it. Oh, my God. <laughs> but the American people don't. And uh, more importantly is is how he's hiding these documents at this pen center. And how's the media going to hide it for him also? And um, I'll talk about it. I'll tell you something interesting. This comes at the same time that yesterday, Ron Klain, the story broke that Ron Klain was going to resign from Biden's White House. Ron Klain is the chief of staff, who previously was the campaign manager, who when Biden was vice president, was his chief of staff there. And when Biden ran for vice president, was his campaign manager there. So Ron Klain is his everything. Uh, I know Klain because I hired him or was forced to hire him as uh, the campaign manager for Clinton in 96. And I found him to be unimaginative, not very intelligent, a good bureaucrat, a good paper shuffler, uh, but not at all creative and no real energy. But uh, he's a good, I suppose he's a good chief of staff to the bureaucracy. Anyway, he's quitting. It means that Biden's crutch is leaving. Wow. And uh, I wonder if Klain would be quitting if Biden would be running. Uh, I'm beginning to think that that's a signal that Biden might not be running. You know, when you are – he's worked as a civil service salary his whole life. Uh, He had never made a killing in any of this stuff. And when you do that, after a while, you want to make some money. So at that point, you leave. And you have to leave when your boss still has currency, still has clout, still has juice, so that you can make money from it as a lobbyist or as an advisor or whatever you're going to do. And um, Klain is now seeing, he's seen Biden through the midterms, and now he's seeing Biden drop. He's seeing the classified document scandal grow and grow and grow. And I think Biden, I think that may be an early warning indicator 
that Biden may not be running that again. He, that he's fallen. It, it's also interesting. Please help me, I'm falling. <laughs> Please help me, I'm falling. And this guy's leaving, so yeah. he's not going to help. He's him. leaving, and um, and I think that the that he clearly is, uh, and, and he postponed the date of his decision on whether to run again, which was originally going to be right after the midterms, then was going to be after the new year. Now it's going to be after February 7th, which is the State of the Union. Oh, I, he has that date? I didn't realize that. Well, he, he said after it, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which, which means he still has wiggle room. Uh-huh. And, uh, and with that plus the document scandal, uh, I think it's kind of interesting that maybe maybe he's not running. Um, but the point about the document scandal is that it, first of all, obviously obviates the Trump document scandal. But the new scandal, the one that came out Friday, is different because he didn't turn those documents over voluntarily. The Justice Department raided his house. They don't say raided. They say searched his house and found these documents. They raided Mar-a-Lago. They searched Joe Biden's house. But the point is that he didn't turn those over voluntarily. And one of the distinctions that being being made between Biden's docs and Trump's docs is that Trump uh, wanted to hang on to his documents and negotiated with archives, whereas Biden uh, turned them over willingly and quickly. Uh, now it appears that there are documents that he did not turn over willingly or quickly, and they go back to his Senate career and to his time as vice president. Ah. And uh, there may be stuff in there that's a problem. So um, this is all really interesting, and I think there's there's some reason to believe that Biden has hit a serious speed bump here. Let's go to uh, Sandra in New Jersey, no. my friend. Hi, Sandra. Hey, Sandra. Oh, good afternoon, Dick and Doug. Um, happy to hear you speak. Um, I, I, I heard you say today, Dick, that Trump is doing very well, and I'm so happy to hear that. I wanted to ask you about the people that are not going to vote for him. Is he going to try to do anything different to appeal to those people or just always stay the same, maybe change a couple of things? What do you think? Well, first of all, I think he's getting more discipline in his remarks. I think that uh, the midterm defeats, even though he won a lot, uh, really chastened him. And uh, and I think that he's, uh, and I think we he's redirected his ire about the 2020 election toward a really legitimate shot, which is Twitter suppressing the laptop. Um the FBI suppressing the laptop. But I think the other point here is that there are a lot of people, uh, basically about 25% of the country, that say, I like Trump's policies and I like his actions and I approve of his presidency, but I don't like his personality and I don't like his uh, abrasiveness. I don't like his temperament and personality. Those are the words that we use in the polling. And uh, as Trump's temperament and personality calms down a little bit and the achievements and the positions rise to the fore, I think he has an excellent capacity to grow his vote base. About 32% of the country is Democrat. Forget about them. But that leaves 68% that's winnable. And Trump regularly, and now Trump has moved his favorability up to 43, which is really good. It used to be 37 and uh and i think that and among uh among the general electorate so yeah i think there's a lot he can do and i think he's doing it 
Thanks for your call, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Let's go to uh, Chris in Manhattan. Hey, Chris. Hey, good morning, guys. Listen, I think Biden is being set up, but not by the Republicans. Right. With all the crimes and everything that Biden does, they cover it all up. There's no reason for us to know about all of this stuff, and yet they're leaking it. It's a slow drip. There's some reason. There's some end game, and we're we're yeah. focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah. Well, You're look. Right. I right. think that the entire Democratic Party knows that this guy shouldn't run again, and they know that the only reason for him to run again is that they don't have anybody else readily available and apparent. And they don't want to split it, and they don't want and they don't want to get into a fight with him. But everybody believes that, and I think it's just a matter of time, little time until the Democrats start breaking ranks and you start getting one or two of them to stand up and say, the emperor has no clothes. Right. Say what everybody else is thinking, but nobody else has the guts to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, again, I said in the previous show, it's like 1967, when everybody knew Johnson would lose because of the war, but nobody would step forward and challenge him, and Kennedy chickened out and wouldn't run. And an obscure, unknown at the time senator from Minnesota, um, Eugene McCarthy, announced. And everybody said, you can't win. This is stupid. This is ridiculous. And then he got 43% of the vote in New Hampshire, and he won Wisconsin. So uh, Johnson pulled out two weeks later. Kennedy came in. Johnson dropped out. And and I think he folded quickly. And I think there's you may see the same pattern with uh, Biden. And I think it's it's interesting to watch. Slip sliding away. Yes, yeah, slip sliding away. Let's go to uh, Eddie in Chicago. I hope you're getting rid of that mayor of yours. Oh, uh, there's a good chance. Uh, we have uh, Paul Ballas used to run the uh, school board, and then uh, True Garcia's a Latino. She's not even in the top three. Yeah. So right. now they're talking about getting having a meeting between the uh, African-American candidates because there has to be only one. They're going to cancel each other out. Yeah. So that's why this Garcia and Ballas guy are going to get in and as the runoff. Right. So, so, to, so you you were calling me though on Mexico, I think. And on Mexico. So I noticed in the UK they're having massive strikes, and in France they're saying that you got to retire when you're 64. And I was telling this other guy in the morning uh, morning show that are we just going to print money and life's just going to go on and like nothing's going to happen? That's that's what's going to happen. Well, <laughs> without any consequences. Well, no, uh, but nobody knows what the consequences are going to be. Uh, it's unknown and it's scary. The entire financial stability of the United States is based on the fact that we can print money endlessly, unlike any other country. Every other country has to reconcile the value of their currency with the value of the dollar. The dollar is the international currency. And therefore, when we print a lot of dollars and we inflate the currency, it doesn't really hurt us that much because we're the standard. Everybody else has to adjust to that. But increasingly, there is a move on the one hand by the America's enemies, Russia, China, and Iran, to replace the dollar with gold. And they've increased their gold purchases enormously, and they're trying to replace the dollar with the metal. And at the same time, there's a move by Americans who are and other Westerners who are upset with the state of the dollar and see that it's way overvalued. And they're investing in cryptocurrencies and in precious metals. 
And between those two, you have, you at some point going to reach a critical mass where this whole thing is going to come crashing down and everybody will soon stop using the dollar. Um, you already see it in the things like the frequent flyer program where they're barters or where, you know, you, you buy a lot of something and then you get more for free where people are offering not cash but barters, barter. Mm-hmm. And I think that that could well happen, and particularly because of the cynicism about American investors, justifiably based on the crazy printing of money. Interesting. Nice call, though. Thank you. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Just to comment a little more on what I was talking about, about the potential collapse of the dollar as the global trading mechanism. Um, cryptocurrencies are essentially private sector money. It leads, leaves the government completely out of printing the money. The government can no longer control that. And that scares the hell out of the Federal Reserve Board and everybody because they can't control the currency. They can't use it to manipulate the economy. So right now the focus is in the mainstream media on discrediting cryptocurrency by pointing to overinvestment in it, boom and bust, and that stuff, and saying and creating the idea that it's phony. But come on, we had an Internet crash in 2000. The Internet didn't go away. Y2K, you mean? Yeah, it yeah. strengthened. Um uh-huh. We've had, uh, we've had all kinds of dot com bubbles and other bubbles and it does, it does, it's a scandal, but it, it's like saying there's a political scandal. Let's do away with all politicians. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> Watch who you're talking about. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. He's not a politician though, our guy. I meant me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but, but Never mind. <laughs> but the thing is that, that cryptocurrency is a manifestation of the lack of faith people have in government because they want money that's made by, that's printed in the private sector, not in the public sector because they can't trust politicians with the printing press. And that tendency is here to stay. It's going to grow and it's going to ultimately, I think, take over. We'll talk about that more in other shows. Very interesting. While I'm on the subject of money, there's something else I need to talk about. I need to scream about. And forgive me if my volume goes up. There is no possibility that the United States of America will ever default on its debt. There is no possibility that the United States of America will ever default on its debt. That is all bull. It is all media garbage. It's put out there by the mainstream media and the Democratic Party to intimidate us and to force us to continue to spend money, not on debt service, but on the post office and the interior department and uh, embassies and foreign aid and all the stuff we don't really need. Um, The United States takes in $4.5 trillion every year in tax revenues. Wow. It supplements that by borrowing about a trillion dollars every year. Okay. If you cut off the trillion of borrowing and you say you can't do that anymore, you still have the four and a half trillion of tax revenue. And the total amount we have to pay in interest on the debt is $200 billion, 5% 
of our total tax revenue. So if we stop any additional borrowing, we will easily pay off the interest and the debt we've already incurred. Wow, easily. interesting. It's not even close. And, by the way, at the same time, we'll also be able to meet our obligations for Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. Um, those together come to about a trillion and a half dollars. And, Dick, one second, not to interrupt, and you just made a couple of calls to make sure of this, yeah, didn't you, this morning? I, I did. But the there is no way that we are ever going to default. What's happening is they're using the fear of default, and they're using creating this big feathering on the cliff. We could fall off the cliff. Right. Are the negotiations going to succeed, or will our currency crash and take the global economy down with it? This is all bull. Fear-mongering. It's the Democratic Party trying to defend its big spending. Wow. When I worked for Clinton, the Democrats – and I was pushing the balanced budget. The Democrats, like Stephanopoulos and Nickies and Panetta, all got in my face and said, you can't balance the budget. You'll screw Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and education. So the president and I, President Clinton, and I talked about it. And we came back and we said, no, this is baloney. Uh, we can cut other parts of the government and not cut the four vital parts, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and aid to education. We can protect those. And then Clinton went public with a speech that said that, and that completely turned his presidency around. And the Democrats hated me for doing that because they had always kept the fear of protect Social Security, protect Medicare, to hold the efforts to reduce spending at mm, bay. Mm-hmm. They didn't mean protect Social Security and Medicare. They meant protect the damn post office or Amtrak or the Interior Department or embassies abroad or uh, foreign aid, stuff They're we don't obvious. much care about. Yeah. And they, But they couldn't say, oh, save foreign aid. Uh, right. Don't balance the budget. Yeah, no motion. So they say save Social Security. And uh, that's just their speech. It's their talking point, and that's what they're doing now about the debt limit. Uh, and when they say these negotiations are proceeding and we have six months to save it, we'll be, we just hit the debt limit. So what? None of this matters, guys. Okay. Interesting. Now for the next subject. Right, of my take, a, take a breath. Count to ten. Okay. Now for the next subject of my rant. <laughs> if you've listened to me over the months and years, you know that I'm a strong, strong supporter of the Ukraine war. And I believe that this is, it's crucial that we stop the Russian aggression, we stop Russian imperialism, and we beat them in Ukraine. And thank God there's a country willing to shed its blood and its citizens to stop Russian imperialism. There was not that to stop Adolf Hitler. There was not that. Austria rolled over, the Sudetenland welcomed him, uh, the Rhineland welcomed him, and by the time he got to Poland, he had so much momentum, and the Russians were in on it that the Polish resistance was futile. Now we finally have a people that have held them at bay, have stopped them. God bless them and give them all the help that they need. But, but, but. At the same time, Biden has bled our defense budget and constantly cut it and moved money to social spending from defense that we're running low of weapons. The United, If China were to invade Taiwan right now, we couldn't do much about it because we don't have enough cruise missiles. We don't have enough surface-to-air missiles. We don't have enough 
artillery shells. We don't even have enough ammunition because we're giving it all to the Ukraine. And I'm for giving it to the Ukraine, but I'm for keeping it and for making sure that our stockpiles are not replenished. Depleted. They're replenished. I asked a guy who used to be under Secretary of Defense, how long will it take to replenish our stockpile? He said five years. And uh, that's a that's a terrifying concept. Don't spread the news that if it feels it's good getting used, oh, you just keep on using me until you use me up. Don't let them use us up. Yeah. I mean, you know, keep your priorities there. And above all, don't let me read more stories about how we're voted for $68 billion more dollars for Ukraine. Let's read another story that we voted $68 billion more to replenish, to replenish the yeah. stockpile uh-huh. for the weapons we sent Good. to the Ukraine. Good, Dick Morris. Replenishment of the stockpile has got to be a key issue here. Replenishment has to be a word that we use and we focus on and becomes very, very so important. So right, Dick Morris. You're so right. Let's go to uh, Linda on Long Island. Hi, Dick. I was wondering why you didn't stop President Trump from putting out those cards. Because he made a lot of money from him. He needed the money. He's been drained by legal fees and everything else. And uh, it showed how popular he was and... It showed how cool he was. I think it was a great move. Um, I think that, uh, let me go to, uh, oh, Judith in Brooklyn. Hey, oh, Judith. Judith. How are you? Hi, guys. Listen, besides fighting back for First Amendment rights, freedom of speech, what I want to talk about, uh, quote, unquote, it's the economy, stupid. I mean, this is still a very important issue, I think, for all Americans. Because yep. you know what? Guess what, Doug? I'm in Florida right now, okay? And I just paid $11 for a dozen eggs, and in the public supermarket, it's cheap. It's $8, which is basically three to four times higher when businessman President Trump was in office. Do people realize the inflation is directly caused by Biden's policies and yes. Democrats? They, they, do, uh, they do, Judith. But the reason that it didn't have more political impact is that a third of Americans don't care about inflation because their income goes up with inflation. They're on colas. So it's like a tax refund. The IRS withholds too much money from you. You hate it because every month it carves out of your paycheck. But then at the end of the year, you get it all back in a Social Security increase in this case. And it becomes, well, at least they forced me to save. And I should have been saving anyway. And I really like that big fat check that I get. And I'm going to be able to buy a new TV set with that. Whereas if I bled it away week by week, I probably couldn't. Now, that's not the story with unemployment. Because unemployment has no offset. And you have to watch whether the unemployment rate stays at rock bottom like it is now, 3.5%. We know that high tech has just laid off 200,000 people. If that unemployment rate begins to rise, you have an issue that will take over the political process. But until that happens, uh, economy is not going to control the election. Uh, but I think. It's hard to believe that. It's really hard to believe. Yeah, but I think that, uh, I think it may well. But good to hear from you, Judith. Thanks for your call. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump, and now. 
He's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Doesn't that haunt you? Those strains just, they penetrate your ears and go right to your heart. You have to stand up when you hear that. Anyway, I was doing it for something less significant than American servicemen dying, but still important. Yes. Uh, OAN, which was one of the three conservative media outlets we have, uh, Fox News, Newsmax, and OAN. Uh, and OAN was just forced basically out of business. Uh, ATT, which owns, uh, which owns the, the, um, the dish and, uh, and, uh, or, and the, uh, and the automatic access that it provides to cable. Uh, DirecTV is where I'm going for. ATT, which owns DirecTV, canceled OAN. Forced it off of Direct TV. It's still on in a few markets in the country, but its audience share went way, way down from three or four percent to one percent or less. And now what's coming out is that this was a result of a deliberate murder of OAN by the Democratic Party. Here's the sequence of events. On May 21st, 2021, ATT announced a $43 billion merger with CNN. Okay? Huge thing, ATT merging with CNN. Then in November of 21, six months later, Democratic Congress people from California, Anna S. Show and Jerry McInerney, publicly in a hearing urged ATT to cancel OAN. Okay. They had ATT announced the merger with uh, CNN, and then these two Democratic congressmen called on ATT to cancel OAN from Direct from Dish. Uh, I mean, from Direct TV. Uh, ATT owns Direct TV, basically. Then, in January 22, three months after the Democratic congressman called on ATT to cancel OAN, the Justice Department approves the merger. Huh. And then on April 22nd, three months later, ATT cancels OAN. Now, do you think there's a cause effect there? Hmm. The Democratic Congress, the merger goes through. Everybody holds their breath. Will the Justice Department approve this or not? There's a lot of reason for them not to approve it because it's control of the communications industry, which they're very sensitive about in antitrust law. And after they, so everybody holds their breath on it. Then two prominent Democratic congressmen publicly suggest that it would really help if ATT cancels OAN. Then they approve the merger. Then ATT cancels OAN. You smell something fishy there? Unbelievable. This was, this is all brought out, by the way, in a tweet by DC Drano, 
<laughs> which is draining the swamp. Yeah. But DC Drano, it's a great, uh, it's a great app, a great tweet. And, and I think that this, this deserves comments. It even wow. deserves around, even deserves taps. And it was a the deliberate assassination of one of the conservative news outlets on television orchestrated by the federal government by approving the merger and making it conditional on getting rid of OAN. Will there be any legal ramifications? Or no. Why? It's all within the rights of the government. Uh-huh. The, they had broad discretion on whether to cancel or not, whether to approve the merger or not. Really? And you can never prove that that's how they did it. But for God's sakes, the timeline is as persuasive as anything you can imagine. Wow. That's really something. Let's go to Al in Yonkers. Hey, Al. Hey, Al. Hi, Al. Hey, Al. Oh, hi, uh, Dick and Doug. Uh, good afternoon. I just want to ask you a quick question. As you know, in 68... Uh, LBJ told the nation that uh, he wouldn't seek another term as president, as your president of the United States, even though he could have. Uh, do you think personally your own opinion as a top strategist, do you believe that uh, Joe Biden will not run again? Yes, I do. Um, I think that the... On his own accord or... No, he'll be forced by right. the Democrats. Right. Uh Every Democrat you talk to says this guy can't run again. Right. And he's at 40% job approval now. Mm. He was at 47. Let me go through his history. He, uh, throughout his presidency, he was between 37 and 45 in job approval, sometimes up, sometimes down. After he went, after the, the session of Congress, the lame duck session where they passed all the garbage he wanted, the Fight Inflation Act and all that stuff, his job approval went up to 47%, the highest it's ever been since his presidency. And then it went crashing down to 46, to 45, to 43, and with the F, with the document scandal to 40. And that's, an, that's data from earlier this week. I think the new documents will drive it even lower. And he's postponed his announcement two or three times. And I think it's very possible that they will not let him run again. What am I doing here? Yep. <laughs> what are you doing there, Mr. Numb? Mr. Numb, yeah. So, no, I don't think he's going to run. But, you know, we don't know. We'll see. Uh, let's go to uh, Jack in uh, on New York. Hi, Jack. Hello there. Good afternoon. Hey, before you go on, I got, before you go on, I got to tell you, I greeted a guy on the airplane yesterday who had a son, a young boy, and I said, "Hi, what's your what's your boy's name?" And it was on a plane, and he said, "Jack," and I said, "Hi, Jack," and I said, "Wait a minute, I can't say that, can't on, say a that on a plane." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go well, ahead. It's Jack. one of the jokes I always use. Another one is not yet. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Every, anybody President Trump runs against talks about climate change and why they want to reduce carbon dioxide. Yeah, yeah. The fact is, trees, plants use carbon dioxide and synthesize it into oxygen. Yeah. Why would you want to reduce carbon dioxide when we humans yeah. and animals look, need the oxygen? Doesn't look, I'm not going to get in the middle of that scientific debate because I'm not a scientist. But I will tell you this. The United States reduced its carbon emissions by more than any other country in the world 
by more than the entire rest of the world combined during the Trump administration, not by controls, not by tax incentives, but by letting natural gas frack and drill freely, which increased the supply to a point where it supplanted coal and replaced coal as the source of U.S. energy. And uh, the only Capitalism reason... helped. Yeah, it did. That. Exactly the enterprise. Going against. And the only reason the globe didn't reduce its carbon emissions is that freaking China wouldn't reduce theirs. In fact, they open a coal plant every week, <laughs> literally. And their increase in carbon outputs offset the decrease of the whole rest of the world combined. Amazing. So if you're worried about climate change, this administration is absolutely doing everything it can to encourage climate change, climate change by letting China get away with murder. Right. If you want to know why they're letting China get away with murder, go to my previous segment that the Chinese Communist Party paid Joe Biden directly and through his son $1.6 million uh, every year. The big guy. Yeah. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Robert in Suffolk. Hey, Robert. Hi. Good afternoon. Good. When when are we going to start filing criminal complaints and hold these criminals accountable for their crimes? Yeah. Well, the answer to that question is uh, under this administration, never, because the attorney general remains a presidential appointment. And he's not going to prosecute uh, any of the major Democratic politicians. But if we get rid of him and we elect Trump soon, and I think the key thing here is that before you indict anybody, you need to lay the evidentiary framework. And we're doing that with the hearings that are going to be going on in Congress. Congress isn't going to do much of a job legislating. The House can't pass anything. But what they, they hopefully will hold the line on the debt limit. Uh, by the way, on the debt limit, I spoke about it two segments ago. Our position should be, yes, we'll let you raise the debt limit, but for each dollar you raise it, you have to cut spending by a dollar. Right. And that approach worked during Graham-Rudman. It led to Bill Clinton balancing the budget, and we should do that now. Um, I think that the hearings that the House is holding are going to be very effective in uncovering this corruption. And then I think we have an excellent chance of being able to make an indictment stick. Let's go to Charlie in Delaware. Hey, Charlie. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, earlier this week, a, a judge fined Donald Trump a million dollars for apparently a frivolous lawsuit against, I guess it was Hillary Clinton or the yeah. DNC. The or judge, whomever, by the way, but... was appointed by Bill Clinton. Yeah, it's as simple as that? No, um, it's not as simple as that. Uh, the judge the, the judge was basically right. Um the federal law uh, of defamation, which is the suit was brought of a defamation, Trump said you defamed me by saying I was colluding with the Russians and I wasn't. The federal law says that if Trump were a private citizen and you printed that about him, you could be sued and lose your life. I mean, absolutely get killed in court. But as a public official, you not only have to prove that the statement was made and that it was false, but that the person that knew it, that said it, knew it was false, had no basis for believing it was true, and did it with reckless disregard for the truth. And that's a very high standard. You sue Hillary Clinton, she comes back and she says, hey, 
The CIA said so. The State Department said right. so. Half of Congress said so. You're going to sue me for saying it? It wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the judge, I think, was legally correct. Not morally correct, but I think legally correct. Thanks for calling. Let's go to Susan in Brooklyn. Hey, Susan. Hi, D&D. It's always great to hear D&D. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, yeah. you know, I am I just wonder what you think of I have this um, hypothesis. I think that Donald Trump's um, uh, ratings going up or, you know, polls, Maybe people are awake now to the danger that we're really in, uh-huh. how uh, our institutions are being taken over yeah. and infiltration by China at so many levels, yeah. all this wokeness with Ch- our kids. China is the key to that. Uh, I think people are really understanding that. And when Trump made that statement, you should get it. It's a brilliant statement that was we're being bought by China and we have to stop that. In fact, let's remember to play that on our next show. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it really went to people and really went to their heart. I think you're exactly right. Thank so, you, Susan. Thank you, Susan. So what we talked about today is Trump's polling numbers surging, moving up dramatically. His favorability going from 43 uh, to th- from 38 to 43, and his unfavorability dropping from 56 to 45, and his margin in a head-to-head with DeSantis going from plus 3 to plus 10. Very important, and partially because he's putting out positive stuff and partially because he's disciplining himself and not screwing up. Um, even more documents coming out of Biden, but these documents also highlight the Chinese payoffs to Biden. Sure. Because they were being found at the Penn Biden Center, paid for by China. Ukraine draining the U.S. of its weapons supply. Next time you announce more aid to Ukraine, announce more aid to the Pentagon. Uh, and the whole concept that we cannot, we will not default. There's no way we're going to default. Just say for each dollar you cut the debt, cut spending by a dollar. Right. And we'll be absolutely fine. So have a good weekend. And Dick Morris, it's an honor. Thank you. Great to be in New York City again. Yeah, it's cool. Thank you.